I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame. On Saturday, New York City FC, they'll try to extend their six-game unbeaten run, the longest current streak in Major League Soccer, when they meet the Galaxy in Los Angeles. Kevin Baxter covers the Galaxy for the LA Times, and uh, he'll be with me later to preview this match. The Galaxy much improved under a new manager and with a, a famous superstar, although they did suffer their second straight defeat at Columbus on Wednesday night. You could forgive New York City head coach Dome Tarrant this week if he paused to reflect on some memories from his time as Pep Guardiola's assistant at Barcelona and Manchester City. Man City moving one step closer to clinching their second consecutive English Premier League championship with an emotional home victory on Monday. And while absorbing that result, Tehran had been making preparations to somehow limit one of his former Barca players on the weekend in L.A. With three points a must in a Monday match against Leicester City, the Manchester City captain Vincent Company struck a dramatic slicing goal from distance in the waning minutes at the Etihad to all but assure that the EPL trophy will remain in Manchester. I spoke to Dome Tehran after training on Tuesday. It was amazing because he's uh, uh, Vincent Company, he's uh, the lead of, of the Man City. And I know how important it is for the club because uh, it's not easy to 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 win this kind of, of games because it uh, was a tough game because uh, they need uh, one step more to to try to win for uh, two years in a row. The Premier League is not easy because uh, I think in the last nine nine or ten years it was impossible to win. That means it's, it's not easy to win that, uh, but I'm sure I have confidence with this team and especially with with the staff uh, in Man City. And I know it's difficult, it's not over the Premier League, but uh, I'm sure uh, they are able to win the, the next game and to become again in, in champions in the Premier League. If you were on the bench when he was winding up for that shot, would you have been like Pep shouting no, no, no? <laughs> no, yesterday... Uh, I was nervous because uh, I prefer to to stay in the bench because in TV is incredible when you watch uh, the game in TV you are more nervous than in the in the bench <laughs> but I know I'm very happy with, with, for Pep for the club for uh, for the players for everybody in, in Man City because he's, he's my club as well and, and company was very emotional after the game there's, there's uncertainty as to whether he'll return but uh, what about company and, and his uh, contributions to City no, I say uh, company is the lead uh, of the of the Man City, and it's important because sometimes uh, he's injured. It's not it's not easy for this player because he's an important player for for this club. I'm very happy for him because especially he's the captain, and uh, the rest of the players follow him, and it's very important for for this club. Uh, to have these kind of players, the, the lead, uh, when the, you need uh, uh, this player, always uh, he's there. The last team to win back-to-back -back Premier League titles in England, it was Sir Alex Ferguson's 2008-09 Manchester United side. Also 10 years ago, Zlatan Ibrahimovic played for Barcelona. He's now with the LA Galaxy. They'll host New York City on Saturday. Tehran, he was Pep Guardiola's top assistant in 2009 when Ibra scored 16 goals in 29 matches. Uh, I have good memories uh, from Barcelona 
uh, this player because uh, I work one year with with him. Is uh, it's my opinion, uh, Ibra is uh, one of the the best strikers in the last uh, 20 years for me. It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, everybody knows how important is this this player in the world, and not in just in the LA. It's always impossible to 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 mark this player because he has quality he uh, he has the quality to attack the spaces keep the ball a score assist and I repeat I'm very happy to to meet again with this player because I I have good memories uh, uh Ibra uh, in Barcelona Although the same could not be said for Guardiola, he and Ibra had a falling out which led the big Swede to write in his book that the the current Man City manager Guardiola is the most immature coach he had ever played for and called him a spineless coward. Well, as for Anton Tenerholm, a fellow Swede and the current wingback for New York City FC, he has no special reunion plans with Ibra. Mm, yeah, I played against a couple of other Swedes in the league, but uh, uh, to be honest, I look more forward to, to uh, get the three points. Uh, but of course, he's... Uh, He's the best uh, player ever uh, Sweden had, so, so, so of course it's going to be fun to play against him. I played against him a couple of times and I played with him in the, in the national team, so I know how, how good he is and uh, he's having a, a good shape for the moment. So it's going to be tough, but like I said, we, uh, we are a really good team now, so, so we're going for another three points. Do you have any remembrances of him as a teammate? You know, sometimes he's a bit misunderstood, but what, what's your take? Nice. He's a really uh, great guy, uh, both on the pitch and, and off, the, off the pitch. And uh, the, the only thing he wants uh, when he's on the pitch is to win. And that's the, the matter most. It doesn't matter if we're doing a passing drill or we're doing a finishing or whatsoever. We, he wants to win and he do everything to win. And uh, I think that's the key was making that, uh, that successful. Sometimes you just take a decision, I'm going to win this. And uh, I think this year he's uh, proved a lot. Or, Last year was really good as well, but, but uh, with him in a good shape, LA uh, is a, it's a big contender to, to uh, win the cup. So uh, Ibrahimovic and the Galaxy, they're hosting New York City FC this Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. The Galaxy, they're coming off their second straight loss on Wednesday night at Columbus. The final there, 3-1. Uh, LA had a chance to vault into first place in the West ahead of LAFC. But LAFC still with a two-point lead at the top of that Western Conference table. So time now to get the Galaxy perspective here on frame. And I want to welcome in uh, LA Times, LA Galaxy beat writer, Kevin Baxter. I suppose you're the beat writer for the LAFC as well, right? I am. Yeah. We have two teams and one writer. Well, listen, that's good for you. I, a lot of work, but uh, how about that? You know, I was thinking, so I'm talking about two L.A. teams at the top of the table. What has that been like for the L.A. soccer community? Uh, this LAFC team, new, obviously, a couple of years old, and, and now uh, they're competing at the top of the galaxy. This, this must be uh, fun. Well, it's fun, and uh, it's also a little distressing. It's a love-hate relationship with the fans here, um, with, I think, emphasis probably on the hate <laughs> um, supporters of the two teams cannot stand each other, and there is a lot of trash talking that sometimes gets a little, uh, a little personal. Um, the the fans in in the Galaxy accuse the LAFC supporters of being new to the sport, or conversely, they at the same time they accuse them of being uh, Chivas uh, USA fans that have just uh, found a new team. Um, LAFC can 
claims that they are the only team in the city of Los Angeles, which technically is correct because the Galaxy are located in Carson, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. So uh, the vitriol goes back and forth. But I will say one thing is when uh, Chivas USA was here, especially at the end, they they drew very few fans. And there was some concern when Don Garber put two teams here. He insisted L.A. was a two-team market. And, uh, there was a lot of talk about, well, it hasn't been a two-team market in the past. What makes you think it's going to work now? But but he's been right. LAFC, every game they've played at home, they've played to a packed house. They've sold out every single game, uh, regular season and playoffs, at a 22,000-seat stadium downtown. The Galaxy's attendance is actually up this season. They haven't sold out, but they've been averaging around 24, 25,000 fans a game at Dignity Health Sports Park, which you may remember as the StubHub Center. Yes. And before that was the Home Depot Center. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more so, Home Depot. Yeah, I was back in the Home Depot days, too. So there you go. <laughs> now you. known as the Chargers, now known as the home of the L.A. Chargers as well. Yeah, that's but, crazy. Um, so the, the, there, there, there is a huge, huge, huge following for soccer now in Southern California. Kevin, how, how long have you been following uh, the L.A. teams or, or, or the Galaxy or and Chivas or just MLS in general uh, for the times? Since about 2011, 2012. All right. And the thing, and I want to get into last night's game and some of the personalities on this team, but I want to talk newspapers at one point. I mean, you, to me, you're one of the few guys that is – is a, a full-time uh, writer on the soccer side that's covering teams. And I know you're flying to France for the Women's World Cup. It's becoming less and less part of the uh, the culture here. It seems to have somebody specifically involved in writing. Uh, I, I would imagine you're um, you're quite comfortable with that and, and at the same time feel kind of fortunate. Yeah, both of those are accurate. And, and the first part, whether I feel comfortable with it, it, it took a long time. To feel comfortable with it. I, I covered baseball for uh, years and came over to soccer and it it, it is a um, it, it is something that you need to learn about and learn to uh, appreciate and learn some of the nuances before you can fully understand what's going on. And, and that takes a little bit of time. And I'm fortunate that the times were patient and, and allowed me to do that. But I bring that up because soccer is, you know, as we've heard since 1970, it's the it's this sport that uh, now is going to take over America. But I think we're getting closer and closer to that, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Well, you know, a lot of fans come to soccer from the video games. That, Believe it or not, that is a huge driver of fans to soccer. Uh, the millennial crowd is much more into soccer uh, than, uh, you know, people my age. And, and, and you're seeing that in sports departments across the country where the – the, the power, the people in power are older white males who like baseball, boxing, basketball. Um, the readers now, the people uh, who are going to re- replace the, uh, these these older people, they like soccer, basketball, you know, some other sports. Uh, and it, there is going to be a reckoning at some point where the fan base from baseball simply gets too old or dies out and the fan base from soccer takes over. There are going to be a lot of newspapers without any educated soccer writers um, and as I said, it takes a few years for uh, people to get comfortable with it. So, um, you know, I, I perceive a day not too far in the future where a lot of sports departments are going to be uh, are going to have a moment of reckoning trying to find out how to cover this sport. And where has soccer been all these years? Well, it's been right there in front of you. You just haven't paid much attention to it. Wow. So uh, interesting perspective. How about uh, let, let's a couple of the personalities. I want to start with the head coach, uh, Guillermo Barros Scalotto who for the previous three years with with Boca Juniors, where he was a star player, uh, but he also had MLS experience with Columbus as a player, won won an MLS Cup, won the MVP of the Cup, and he um, 
he's been interesting in terms of how he's helped turn it around. So tell us about Scalotto and, and why it's gone better under him. What, what does he bring to the table? Well, he came in with a plan, and that's something that's been missing from this Galaxy team since Bruce Arena left. When Bruce was here before he left for the national team, uh, as you know, the Galaxy won three MLS Cups in four years. Bruce was the coach. He was the general manager. He was the guy that called all the shots. He did a great job. He was master at, uh, I don't want to say manipulating, but understanding MLS rules and understanding where, uh, you know, where he could walk up right up to the line and, and not necessarily cross it. Uh, and he knew what he, how he wanted his teams to play, and then he knew what kind of players he needed to make that happen. Uh, and so he was masterful in all those things. When he left, the Galaxy uh, went in a new direction. The front office made the decisions. The coach, uh, at first Kurt Anafo and then Ziggy Schmidt, they were in charge of, of making it work. Uh, the two did not always uh, pull on the same end of the rope. You know, coaches wanted certain kind of players, and the general manager and, uh, and president Chris Klein provided other kind of players, and so there, there wasn't a plan. Uh, when Scalotto came in just before he was hired, uh, the Galaxy hired a new general manager and Dennis DeClosa. And those two are very simpatical. They're on the same. They're on the same page. Um, they know some of the same people. Have some of the same concepts. They like uh, the same style of play. So they work hand in glove. And and that's been the big difference. Is that there is a plan now. There is a vision. There is a style of play. And there is an understanding that they need special uh, players to go out and 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 fill those roles. And so it's all worked very clearly. And. Until the last two games, when the Galaxy gave gave up six goals, they had the best defense in the league. They had they they were tied with LAFC for fewest goals allowed. They've hit a real rough patch here. But before that, um, uh, you know, as I said, they were one of the best defenses in the league last year. They gave up sixty four goals. So how do you go from sixty four goals allowed to the best defense in the league when essentially it's the same players? There's been one. One new player that started this year, Diego Polenta at center back. And the, the players and, and goalie David Bingham tell me, it's yeah, it's the same players, um, but we have a, a an idea when we go on the field of what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're not changing. Doesn't that sound – that sounds crazy, though, doesn't it, when you hear that from players? Like, how can a, how can a coaching staff not have a preparation, a plan, going into – not just into a match, but into how you want to play? But it happened. Well, it, last year they, they exper- seemed to experiment a lot. They'd play some games with a three-man back line. Others uh, with guys dropping back from the midfield seemed to be five. And it, it, it was unclear whether the changes were because a player was injured or, or uh, because they wanted to attack the opponent a different way. But And people were moving in and out of the lineup. You know, Dave Romney played all four positions on the back line at, at some point during the season. Uh, he hasn't even – he started one game this year. So things have changed a little bit. But the players tell me that uh, they know what they're supposed to do when they go on the field. They have an idea. They have a plan. They, they keep their shape. And then they also uh, – Guillermo has taken it one step further than that, that if things break down, if something happens, they all know what plan B and plan C is. And they immediately, you know, drop into that formation or drop into that shape. So the idea of knowing what you're supposed to do and then knowing what you're supposed to do when things go wrong uh, really seems to have made a difference. Now, the last two games, you can argue they're reverting to the last year's form uh, and we'll see what changes are made. But uh, through the first, say, eight games of the season, that really seemed to work for them. Yeah, and uh, six goals conceded in the last two matches, both road losses at Red Bull Arena, up 2-1 at the half, lose 3-2. And then last night in, in uh, or Wednesday night in, in Columbus, where uh, it didn't go well at all. Kevin Baxter, L.A. Times, covers the L.A. Galaxy. 
before uh, you, you talk about Scalotto and, and the comfort level of the team, uh, they've got something that the, they believe in, obviously. The guy who seems to have benefited the most, and, and but you've seen them all the time, you see him at training, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos. Uh, and, and I talked to uh, one of your colleagues uh, about him recently and because I was saying, boy, he, lo- he looks so good this year. And what uh, I was told is, yeah, he's the club MVP. What, what, what's your feeling? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm guessing you probably talked to Josh Gessman because he he is a he does a pod with me and he is a big big Jonathan Dos Santos supporter and has argued already that he should be the MVP over over Zlatan who's second in the league in goals. Um, he definitely is the motor that drives that team. Uh, he plays a very demanding position in the midfield and we know midfielders run a lot, but Jonathan is definitely a box to box guy because he he plays both a little bit as a holding midfielder but definitely as as the link as the guy who links the ball between the back line and, and the front line and, and Salaton, and that's very important in the uh, style that Scalotto likes to play. So, I mean, there is an argument to be made he's the MVP. Uh, we're going to find out if that's true or not because he went down with an injury. Yeah, is he out for the weekend? Do you know well, yet? We don't know yet. They, 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 the Galaxy chartered home last night after the game. Given they're in the middle of a of a uh, three-game, eight-day uh, uh part of the schedule where they had to fly across country to play in Harrison, New Jersey on Saturday. They stayed in New Jersey, went to Columbus to play Wednesday night and then chartered home because they play again against New York city, as you know, on Saturday. So it was a very tough schedule. We don't have any report. Uh, Jonathan was going to be examined today. Um, some of the players said that the, the entire team was suffering from tired legs. And, and that was the reason they just as a team completely laid an egg uh, at the game in Columbus. But Jonathan's the one everyone's worried about. He appeared to have an injury. Some of the players were saying afterwards they thought it was more uh, just that that his legs gave out, that he was just exhausted. So we'll see. My, wow. That's, I would uh... be really surprised if he played Saturday for two reasons. If it's an injury, he's not going to play. And if it's really tired legs, as, as Scalotto is well aware how important Jonathan is to the team and is not going to push it this early in the season. And it's interesting because it looked like Scalotto just – he basically went with the, the normal 11 for this midweek game when sometimes coaches elect to alter the lineup uh, in the midweek game to prepare for the weekend game. So he kind of, uh, he kind of stayed, uh, stayed with the form. They are, of course, missing Roman Alessandrini, who is a very key part of that midfield. Well, one question start- I was going to ask you, Kevin, yeah. is uh, was about Alessandrini. He, his absence, and he's out with a knee injury until maybe September. And uh, what have been the factors that have uh, kept the the Galaxy not only afloat but but prospering without him? Well, it. it I mean, that's a difficult question to answer because the the first game that he missed fully was Minnesota, and that was a draw. Um, and then they came home, played Portland. Um, uh, excuse me, then after Minnesota, then they came home, played Real Salt Lake. Um, and then they went on the road and lost two. So they really only won one of the, the four games that okay. since Rini hurt his knee. Yeah. So uh, Kevin Baxter, LA Times with us. And uh, so uh, let's get to Zlatan. Uh, you've uh, in covering the team. You're at training. Uh, you get a chance to speak to him um, as much or more than than anyone involved in the media. How has it been uh, dealing with Zlatan Ibrahimovic on a consistent basis? He has actually been great. Uh, he speaks once a week um, uh, during train. You know, during training, uh, he'll speak generally after the last major training session of the week. Um, and takes every question. He speaks after every game. Uh, he's been very good with the media. Um, 
teammates have a little bit of a different view of him. And I, I don't want to start anything saying that there's there's problems, but Zlatan is very exacting on the field. And he, um, I, I, there's no other word to, to, to use, but selfish. He's a very selfish player, as are most high-scoring forwards. Robbie Keane was the same when he was here. He wants the ball. If the ball goes to someone else, he's unhappy. The difference is Zlatan, uh, tends to show it. If a player makes a bad, poor pass or or if Zlatan starts a run and the player doesn't notice it and sends the ball somewhere else, Zlatan will gesticulate on the field uh, and everyone in the, in the stands can see it. He's apparently a very difficult player to play with, but the difference is the players tell me as soon as that whistle blows, he's a totally different guy. He goes back to being the jokester. He's a guy that, that uh, is very um, generous with his advice to some of the younger players. Um, so he, he's a good guy off the field when the game starts, he's very exacting. And you know what? That's why he has 500 goals in his career. And that's why he's won 33 cups, uh, because he is demanding and exacting, uh, players tend to feed off it, but you do see, sometimes you, you wonder if it works in, uh, against the galaxy. Yes. He has nine goals, second league in goals. And, uh, he's a great passer as well. But a lot of times you see players coming into the box and rather than taking a shot that they may have lined up. They, divert, they immediately start to look for Zlatan to make sure that they at least try to send the ball to him so that they don't get yelled at. Well, I, I know that uh, things like that happened uh, at New York City uh, in accordance with David Villa. Villa didn't tend to have the gesticulation or the nonverbal uh, body language that would indicate, hey, why didn't you get me the ball? But there was still that underlying tone that, you know, they were they were trying to feed him. Same with Zlatan. And look, nine goals. Uh, Dome Teron uh, yesterday, uh, I think he used the words nearly impossible to defend. And I think that's what we've seen in his uh, brief MLS career. Nobody's really been able to stop him, have they? No, absolutely not. And and it, it, it's, it's kind of um, hard to figure because – the, the offense so uh, obviously goes through Zlatan. He is the guy, um, and, uh, you know, the obvious uh, answer is stop Zlatan, you stop the Galaxy. No one's been able to do it. Yeah, four of his goals have come on penalty kicks, and people seem to use that to say, well, he's not really that dangerous a striker. You know what? He drew the penalty. He drew the foul on all right, four of them. Right. There you so, go. Yeah. A couple of them I think he would have scored if he hadn't been fouled. So, um, you know, if you're drawing the penalty then you, and you convert the penalty kick, I think that's a good goal. Kevin, it, it seemed like, um, like you said, leading into these two road games that uh, things had been really shored up on the defensive side, and, and, and I guess we'll get a, a greater look at that on the weekend, how it's all set up. But what have been some of the critical uh, points of that? I, I, I like this guy, Diego Polenta, and I think I probably admire him more for his ability to serve out of the back. I mean, he's just in, in watching some highlights and, and some games of the Galaxy, he seems to be one of the best passers of the ball uh, in the league out of the back. Yeah, he really is. And, and he set up both goals that they scored uh, in the New York Red Bulls game. He does a very good job of distributing the ball. And, and that is another important part of Scalotto's attack is he wants to play the ball at the back. Even in the Bruce Arena days, they seem to do an awful lot of just kick the ball over the top and have everyone chase it. Um, they, this team plays the ball out of the back and Polenta is a big part of that. There will be some changes on the back line. They, the, the Galaxy just signed a guy named Giancarlo Gonzalez, who is a two-time Costa Rican World Cup player, was playing in Serie A, and they just recently signed him. He hasn't uh, started a game yet, but given the defensive breakdown the last two games, um, I, I expect to see him start soon, perhaps this weekend, in place of Daniel Steris, 
who has played tremendously well. But but Gonzalez is coming in as a TAM player, meaning he's making a lot of money. Um, clearly, this is a guy that that the the, the brain trust sees as pairing with Polenta Intel, and uh, maybe that that new pairing begins this weekend. Can you tell us about the other uh, new player just acquired before the deadline, the Argentine winger Fabio Alvarez? Yeah, this is a guy that Dennis DeClosa and, and, and Guillermo Barscolo have had their eye on since they came together in January. Uh, they've been scouting him, uh, wanted to sign him. Dennis told me a couple of weeks ago that he expected that uh, Alvarez would not be signed until after the the window closed. He didn't think that they would get that done because of the, the schedule in Argentina and what the club wanted. Um, once Alessandrini got hurt, that changed everything. And there was a new sense of urgency to get him in as fast as possible. Um, and, and, and he's here now, um, still working, I think, on the paperwork a little bit. Whether he'll be available Saturday uh, depends on the paperwork. But whether he plays on Saturday or is even among the 18, I think depends a little bit on how well he and how quickly he can get acclimated. Now, Scalotto knows him. He coached against him in Argentina. Uh, Alvarez knows Scalotto and the style of play he wants. He's very familiar with it from Boca Juniors. So um, it, that part may not take long, but whether you have a guy uh, fly up from Argentina and thrust him right into the game right away, uh, I don't know if that happens. Well, a very improved LA Galaxy side. Kevin, I know I have to let you go. you got to catch a plane to San Jose, but maybe a brief comment about the U.S. women's national team. That's where you're going to catch some of their training uh, leading into the World Cup in France, and you're going to be in France. So uh, what are you anticipating as you arrive in San Jose later today? Well, this is a veteran-heavy team. Uh, there, there are a number – about half the team has played in a previous World Cup. Many of them have played in three or even, in the case of Carly Lloyd, four World Cups. Uh, you just don't see you – you never see that on the men's level. And, and even on the women's level, when you look at some of the teams that are in the World Cup, uh, not that level of experience. Um, so it's an experienced team. They're starting to come together. They had a big team dinner. They went to a nice restaurant in San Francisco, just the 23 players, no coaches uh, and, and no administrators, just uh, as an attempt to get this team to bond. And that seems to be working really well. But I will tell you, going into the World Cup, I have my eye on one game. If everything goes to form, the U.S. will play France in the semifinals in Paris uh, and that, to me, that's the date I have circled on my calendar because as good as this U.S. team is, it plays now the vast majority of its games at home uh, where it doesn't face a hostile crowd. There'll be, uh, you know, over 50,000 people in Parc de Princes in Paris cheering for France. It'll be a national holiday in France. And this is a French team that beat the U.S. 3-1 to in January. So that's the game I have circled on my calendar. If the U.S. gets past that, they probably win the World Cup. But I don't know if they get past that. And uh, for those uh, in uh, our area here, the New York City metropolitan area, Red Bull Arena will host uh, the send-off game when the U.S. women take on Mexico. That's going to be Monday, May the 26th. Well, Kevin, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy your time in San Jose, and uh, appreciate your thoughts ah. on the Galaxy, and, and good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. You can follow Kevin Baxter on Twitter, at KBaxter11. New York City FC at the LA Galaxy airtime on WNYE and the New York City FC network worldwide on TuneIn is 3.45 p.m. Eastern on Saturday pregame show with head coach Dome Terrell, my broadcast partner for the day, Maddie Lawrence. That'll do it for On Frame. I'm Glenn Crooks.